Great. Well, good morning, everyone. We are continuing our Ephesians series, uh, looking at um, the the theme of our series has been alive. And so I've sort of tongue in cheek titled this Staying Alive. Um, and really, we're in uh, chapter six, verses 10 to three. And so if you know this passage, it's the armor of God and there's a big emphasis on spiritual warfare. So, so really, uh, we're looking at uh, sort of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13 this morning. Uh, before we do, um, I was fascinated this week as I read the news. I, I was reading a, an English newspaper and I read this article about this new map that scientists, that astronomers have created. It's the largest map of the universe's dark matter. So there's the universe, I guess, and the purple pink splodgy part is uh, the part that they've mapped and the dark bits inside are the the dark matter or the antimatter. If you know, um, scientists know that the universe is made up of atoms, which uh, are made up of like protons and neutrons with electrons and all of everything we can see and touch is made up of these basic building blocks. And yet they believe that there's a substance that is like opposite to that out there in space, about 27% of the universe is made up of this mysterious substance. And, uh, and it has these effects that they can see and they're trying to explain what these effects are. And the current explanation is that there's this stuff called dark matter. But why uh, I was drawn to this article was the first line and I I'll read it to you. The first line of the article says this. We can't see it. We barely understand it, but we know that it exists because of the powerful influence it exerts on space. We can't see it. We can't. We don't even understand it. And yet we know it exists because of the powerful influence that it has on the world around us. And I think that that's a helpful way. It helped me think about this topic of spiritual warfare and spiritual realities. As Paul is teaching in chapter six of Ephesians, um, we are as Westerners and as um, human beings coming to this topic. And we might feel like, and I think I feel like, I can't see it, I barely understand it. And yet we know it exists because of the powerful influence it exerts on space and, and rather on people's lives. See, there's lots to be said on this topic. It's a big one. I've been joking all week how this will be a, a breezy, a breezy sermon. No problems, spiritual warfare. But it, it's a big topic and it comes with lots of baggage. It comes with all sorts of teaching and preconceived ideas that we might bring with us this morning. And um, we obviously won't be able to cover uh, a fraction of what we'd like, but what I'm hoping to do is lay a foundation for us as a church, for us to think, have some principles uh, and to allow the Bible and specifically Paul's letter to the Ephesians to lay a foundation for us, to, to, to lay the groundwork for an ongoing discussion and development and growth and discipleship as, as believers here in Gothenburg into this topic, into this important um, uh, discussion of spiritual warfare. So let's read the passage and then get straight in. Oh no, wait, sorry, before we do, two resources I'd like to share. First 
is if you want to dig deeper and do some further research, uh, one would be David Devonish's book, Demolishing Strongholds. I've not read it, but Josh actually has it and he's read it and recommends it. So if you want to borrow a copy, you can borrow Josh's. I'm sure he'd be happy that I'm giving you that piece of advice uh, or you can buy it yourself. It is on my Amazon wish list. So come Christmas, you can borrow it off me. Um, the other resource that's very helpful, I should say, Dave Devonish is part of our larger family of churches, New Frontiers. So he's someone that we uh, can trust and uh, and is a respected teacher within our circle of churches. Uh, so it's a fantastic resource. The other one I could recommend is uh, the Bible Project. They have a series on YouTube, so slightly more quick and easy for you to, to watch this week. Uh, it's on spiritual beings. So if you type in Bible Project spiritual beings series, you'll get that. So let's read our passage. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 13. And I'll be reading in the ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm so this passage teaches us that there are real spiritual powers but that they are aligned with the devil and in opposition to god to god's promises and god's people it's so great to hear contributions this morning. Verity brought that passage of the good shepherd, the good shepherd who keeps his sheep safe from robbers, thieves and wolves. We have an enemy, this passage teaches, teaches us, who is in opposition to God's people, God's promises and God's purposes. And so Paul wants his readers to know, his listeners, his hearers, the hearers of this letter, and therefore us, wants us to know how to defend ourselves by depending on the power of God to stay standing whilst the enemy attacks, to be able to advance God's kingdom into enemy territory. First, to do that, we need to know our enemy. The first thing to notice, here's our enemy. Paul uh, gives five titles or five uh, descriptive names. First, the schemes of the devil. So devil is the Greek word diablos, and it means the accuser, the slanderer. He um, brings lies against believers and accuses us of uh, wrongdoing. He accuses us and tries to kind of um, get us to look at ourselves instead of looking to God. Remember in Genesis, he's the one who says, did, did God really say He's the, he, he sows the seeds of doubt and casts lies against God to, to, um, to influence and to draw people away from God's promises and God's truth. So we have Satan, they have the devil, sometimes called Satan. Satan, again, is, isn't a name. It's a descriptive characteristic. It uh, means adversary or opponent. He is the great adversary, the great opponent of the people of God. It's not his name. In fact, 
our enemy, uh, the devil, the Satan, doesn't have an actual first name in the Bible. He doesn't have a name. He's not given one. Uh, Lucifer isn't his name. Lucifer is the Latin word for Venus and refers to the morning star, which is a title given to lots of different people, to kings, um, to rulers, even to the messianic king, the uh, the king of kings, lord of lords, the morning star, my favourite hymn. Uh, one of them is star of the morning, glorious in holiness. That word star in the morning morning star so lucifer isn't his name either we need to maybe shake off some of these ideas we have an enemy yes but he's nameless it's not given the dignity of a name but he's not alone he uh, works with and has at his command rulers and authorities cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil now uh, over the years uh, different commentators have, have sort of said perhaps these rulers and authorities are human rulers and authorities. Maybe they're governments or systems of corrupt political um, ideologies. Maybe these are, are, are human institutions. And yet I think it's clear in the passage that that's not the case. And Paul could have listed a bunch of people as potential enemies. Remember, as he writes this letter, he's in prison. He's been locked up. I don't think he's thinking that those people who locked him up are his friends. Also, we could point to uh, in Ephesus, when Paul preaches the gospel in Ephesus, we saw, we read about it in Acts, how um, his message is so effective that people turn away from their um, pagan beliefs, their idol worship, the witchcraft and the, um, the kind of uh, cult uh, religious beliefs that were, were so popular in Ephesus. It was a capital of um, idolatry, of pagan worship. And uh, Paul's ministry was so effective that as people turned away, the people whose jobs it was to make the idols lost business. And so they rioted, they revolted, and they chased Paul and his disciples out of the city. They, they could be an example of, of an enemy that Paul would bring up here. But he doesn't. They are not his enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not the people that are a problem. It's the inspiration behind them. It's the it's the it's the voice that's speaking in and through those people. That's the problem. We have a greater enemy, Paul is saying. They are spiritual in nature. They're spiritual, not physical. We see that emphasized in in these words, cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The next thing we can notice is that uh, the enemy uses schemes and underhanded tactics. In verse 11, Paul says that we, uh, we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is the same word that Paul used back in chapter 4. Uh, and for and verse 14 he says uh, that we need to grow in discipleship as believers so that we may no longer be just children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and the craftiness in deceitful schemes this is the same devilish schemes that he's talking about in chapter six but here it's combined with it's united with human cunning and false teaching. So Paul is seeing a link there between false teaching, wrong thoughts about God, incorrect thoughts about God, we, and the lies and the accusations and the scheming of our enemy, our spiritual enemy. 
and I liked this quote by John Stott. There he is. Um, he is a, an English theologian and professor, dead, dead now, I think. Um, I'll be in trouble if he's not. But this is a great quote from him. It says, because it is because the devil seldom attacks openly, preferring darkness to light, that when he transforms himself into an angel of light, in other words, when he goes in disguise, we're caught unsuspecting. He is a dangerous wolf, but enters Christ's flock in the disguise of a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often is as subtle as a serpent. We must not imagine, therefore, that open persecution and open temptation to sin are his only and even his most common weapon. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and deceive us into error. It's underhanded tactics and schemes that we need to watch against from our enemy. The next thing to notice is that our enemy has a goal to knock us off our feet. Do you notice that word wrestle in verse 12? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, that's not what we think of uh, when we think of wrestling. Well, I don't know what you think of. I think of like the guys in the tights in the ring that do all the theatrics. And it's like they're, you know, Beckett and the crowd sit all wild. And it's all a lot of um, smack talk to one another and then throw downs and pin in and jumping off that's not Paul's idea of wrestling this is a specific word parlay in the Greek and it's an actual sport it's like karate or judo they mean different things and, and this word um, is the the Greco-Roman sport of parlay so very specific Paul would have walked anywhere you go they would have seen it and known it and they know the rules there's only one rule knock your opponent off their feet if you want to win you knock them down get them off their feet that's all you have to do and you're the winner right? Now it makes sense that Paul is constantly in this passage using the word stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of, God, of, armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, no. And then in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's because our enemy is trying to knock us off our feet. We have a, an unseen opponent. He's untouchable, but he uses, in, in, the, in that he's spiritual, not physical. And he uses devious schemes and underhanded tactics to knock you off your feet. Now, he can't rob you of your salvation. We see in verses like Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. That's amazing. If you're in Christ today, if you're a believer in Jesus, then he's got you. He holds you in his hands. As we heard in, from uh, from Verity, God, Jesus is the good shepherd and he knows his sheep and he, he knows them by name and he guards the gate and he doesn't let the robber in. But the, there is an enemy. There is an opponent and he can knock you off your feet. He can he can um, he can make you ineffective for a time. In other words, he can do things to rob you of uh, your ability to be a blessing to others and to be blessed by others and to be blessed by God. He can do things to um, stifle and to, to, to suppress the gifting that God has given you in real simple ways. He can tell you that what you've got to say isn't worth saying. He can tell you that what you've got to give isn't worth bringing. He can convince you that you're, you, you know, pathetic, a sinner, dirty. None of those things are true in Christ. 
you are a son and daughter of the living God, gifted by the Holy Spirit with a purpose to bring the kingdom of God here in Gothenburg and wherever you are in the world. That's amazing promises spoken over your life by scripture. And as Josh said, you might have individual promises given to you prophetically over the years that the Lord has spoken into your life. The enemy's tactic is to tell you that you're not worth those promises or to find a way of making you put those to one side, put them on the shelf and not to walk in and stand in God's promises. That's his job. That's his main tactic. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about being, this is an aside, it's not in my notes. I would love to be an artist, right? I'd love to be a painter. And occasionally I, 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 you know, get my sketchbook out and I do some drawing. But if you actually want to be an artist, you wake up in the morning at 8 a.m., you get your paint box out and you, you paint all day, every day. And you practice all the time. If you want to be good at something, if you want to be great at something, if you want to be a master at something, you work at it day in, day out. And most of us don't have the time and the opportunity to do something like that. Our enemy doesn't have hobbies. He doesn't have a family life to go back to. He doesn't have a job, a nine to five job that he needs to go to and persecuting you and annoying you and pestering you and robbing you of your promises. It's like his, his hobby. No, it's his only aim. He wakes up 24 seven. I don't know if he sleeps. I presume not. But 24 seven, he is aiming to and purposefully planning on robbing you of your joy and 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 knocking you off your feet so that's worth knowing it's it's worth having that perspective that we have an enemy whose sole task is to rob you of what god has for you the final thing that we notice uh, in this passage about our enemy to read about our enemy to see that Paul wants to show us uh, is that these beings they exist in heavenly places these evil spiritual forces exist in heavenly places and this is um might be a shock to us we might think but surely heaven is the place where only God and his angels dwells and uh, that's true for what we would call heaven um, but heaven is part of a broader place that we and the bible writers call heavenly places perhaps your translation says heavenly realms that word that paul uses here is only found in the book the letter to ephesians and it's found five places so it's a theme throughout the letter that there is a, a heavenly realm that is populated by spiritual beings some of which um, are servants of God, their, their allegiances to him. We might call them angels or messengers or ministers. Uh, and they, um, they are good and they are um, working for God and they're with us. But there are other spiritual beings that exist in this spirit spiritual realm, this heavenly places that are in open rebellion to God. We see this uh, heavenly places in page one, sentence one of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavenly places is, um, of course, um, literally the sky and the moon and the stars and the clouds and all the birds flying in it. That is part of it. But physical things can represent spiritual truths and spiritual realities. This is true of lots of things in scripture. Baptism is just one of them where we physically go down into the water and come up again. 
and it spiritually represents our death to our old life and being born again into new life. So it's a physical thing that represents a spiritual reality. And this is true of, of, of the heavens, um, which are a physical place. But if you think figuratively, um, what they represent is what's unreachable, unattainable, un, kind of understandable by, by man, these far off distant places. Scientists are still shooting radiation up into the sky to try and understand what's there and getting these crazy maps that are changing our ideas about the universe and what's in it, what it's made of. We still look up to the heavens and think, what is this and how does it work? So they represent this spiritual reality that we can just catch glimpses of. But the Bible teaches us that there is heavenly places and there is earthly places and we're on earth and that there are places where heaven meets earth. Uh, and oh, so it, you should see there, there's my five links there on the side in Ephesians where the word heavenly places is used. We're going to look briefly at a few of them. But there are these heaven meets earth spaces. One of them is the Garden of Eden. You know, it's it's where Adam and Eve walked. It wasn't the whole earth. It was just an area. And it was where God met with humanity and walked with them in the garden. It was a heaven meets earth space. The tabernacle uh, was built to be a heaven and earth space where God's presence dwelt with his people. The temple, again, was was an extension of the tabernacle, a place, a dwelling place of God with man. And Jesus as well, we see in John chapter one that Jesus came and dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. He is the ultimate quintessential heaven meets earth space. Wherever he went, uh, new life broke out in healing and miracles. And also the global church, we read in Ephesians that we are a temple for God to dwell in, that we are the body of Christ, the church here on earth. We are a heaven meets earth space. So wherever we go, we bring the light and life, the presence of Jesus to this world around us, to these earthly spaces. And so it's no wonder then that Paul gets to chapter six after explaining our new identity in Christ, that we are these heaven meets earth spaces. It's no wonder that he gets to chapter six and he says, you're going to have these interactions with other spiritual beings. And these spiritual beings, they're not friends of God. And they're not friends of you. They are against him and against his purposes. And so we are going to bump up against and experience interaction with an enemy. Now that we are in this new realm of heaven meets earth. So it's no surprise we interact with these spiritual forces. We have an enemy. He's out to rob us, out to deceive us, out to knock us off our feet and make you less effective for God and his purposes. Uh, but Paul is hoping that as you read this chapter, this these verses, Ephesians 6 verse 10, that you'll start to see some patterns and start to remember some things he said before. Perhaps you'll have noticed, hang on, heavenly places. He's used that phrase a lot. Or perhaps you'll notice that um, in verse 10, especially if you were reading the Greek, which I know some of us are, none of us are. Finally, be strong in the strength of his might. These are the same three Greek words that he's used before in a really short space. And so there's, it should, you know, it sets off some alarms for the readers and the hearers of Paul's letter as well. This list of rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, that sounds familiar too. And so 
we can turn to chapter one of Ephesians right back to the beginning and see how Paul started off this theme of spiritual warfare in the letter. Because remember, Paul's saying, yes, we have an enemy, but I want to teach you and help you to stand firm against the enemy's attack and stand in your, the, the Lord's strength. So we'll see why he's saying that in chapter one, verses 19 through 23. So remember, Paul is praying for uh, the Ephesians that they would be filled with and know and be able to understand God's great power and his riches and the inheritance. And then he says, and that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. There's those three words again in the Greek. So connection to chapter six. It's the great strength, power and might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule, authority, power and dominion and every name that's named. You see how he's took this this chap, this verses from chapter one and he's brought it full circle and said, because Christ has been raised up to heavenly places, we can stand but uh, we can stand against that enemy because Jesus is now placed not just in heavenly places, not next to alongside these rulers, authorities and powers. No, no, no. He's above, far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Our enemy doesn't even have a name. He's nameless. He's got descriptive titles. That's it. But it didn't matter if he did, because Jesus is above every name. At the name of Jesus, everyone bows. He's the King of King and Lord of Lords. All things are under his feet. And he's been given to us as the head over the church. Fantastic. It's amazing. Can it get better than that? The answer is yes. Turn with me to chapter two. Ephesians two verses four to six. And remember, the previous three verses, Paul's been describing the situation that we were in before we met Christ. In fact, that situation was pretty bad. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And not only that, we were under the sway and influence of the prince of the power of the air. Another descriptive title to describe our enemy. We were under his sway and he was inciting and inspiring and influencing our sinful heart to be even worse than it could be. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated, uh, sorry, we've been raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, Jesus is raised up by God's great power, and now we are raised up and seated alongside with Christ in heavenly places above all rule and authority. So if you are in Christ, remember that's our identity as believers. We've been positioned in him. Everything that's true of him is true of us. And therefore, we are seated and situated in these heavenly places far above all rule and authority from from the walking dead to co-rulers with Christ. Hallelujah. This is amazing. And then Paul develops this into chapter three. He's talking about his mission to the Gentiles, his mission to uh, 
to, to bring Gentile believers into the family of God. And he's saying that this is the mystery now that's been revealed, that, that, um, that all disparate and different, distinctive and diverse people groups all over the world can come together and be reconciled despite their differences. In fact, in the face of their differences, they're reconciled together. We celebrate diversity because we're united in Christ. We've all been raised to that position of privilege and power in Christ. That's his mission. That's his goal. And Paul says this mystery, verse nine, to bring to light for everyone what the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the church through the church, sorry, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In other words, the church diverse in its differences and united in Christ is God's way of displaying his wisdom to those spiritual rulers who are trying to undermine him. He's showing off his power and his glory and his might and his wisdom through us, through the church. And so it's no wonder that our enemy hates us so much. We're a living display of God's wisdom, his glory, his power, his might. We're situated, seated up there with him, above them, and they don't like it. So our divine calling is to display the wisdom of God to these principalities and powers in heavenly places. So Paul then says, so finally, be strong then. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not our own. We rest in our identity as beloved children of God in Christ. We rest in our identity as a new community, diverse and yet united created uh, together in his likeness as his body the church here on earth we stand in it that's how we win the battle that's how we fight against the enemy and yet and yet is God's power at work in us and yet we need to put on this armor of God and Josh is going to explain and go deeper into this armor there is something that we do we need to put on the armor we need to take up the armor we need to stand firm so there is, John Stott puts it like this. Um, uh, don't, John Stott puts it like this. If you don't, uh, don't imagine yourself so capable that you don't need God. You do, we need God. We're not, we can't do it on our own. And yet don't imagine yourself so feeble, so weak that you can't contribute to your victory in spiritual warfare. It's God's work for you. It's God's work in you. It's God's power at work. So stand in it. And whilst we're standing in his might, we equip ourselves with the tools we need to fight. We are both divinely enabled and equipped by God and called to be co-workers and cooperators in this battle to demonstrate his wisdom to these principalities. 